1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Time out for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Yes, yes, welcome into Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the presentation. Jackson, I'm going right into it today. Let's do it. I really haven't spent much time talking baseball in 101 ESPN since we started the program last week. But when it gets down to it, I'm more of a baseball guy than anything. Now I'm a degenerate. I'm a godless pervert. Yep. At my core... The reason I got into this business is my love of the Cardinals and my love of the game of baseball. And in between the start of our presentation, the uh, critically acclaimed balloon party, and uh, us wrapping up TMA over on 1057 HD2, The Potted Plant, we get a chance to talk it over with Randy Carricker. The great Randy Carricker. The great. And uh, I will see the great Michelle Smallman as well. And I say to Randy, I said, what was the topic today? What were you guys talking about? He said, people are mad at us because uh, we were saying how, you know, the trial would be going on right now had the trial actually taken place right. between St. Louis in the NFL and uh, the, the delightful and charismatic Stan Kroenke. And also upset with the Cardinals uh, for not going out and spending money. Now, this is of course, before the work stoppage. And I thought, you know what? This is a topic I really want to get into. I want to do a deep dive on it, as deep as we can go in an hour-long presentation. But seeing as clearly, after doing now, what, six or seven shows here at 101 ESPN, it is crystal clear to me, Action Jackson, that the Venn diagram of the TMA listenership and the 101 ESPN listenership is quite different we have a slight overlap from the people who enjoy texting into the air comfort service text line at 65780 to try to to try to TMA it up in the text text line which i enjoy of course Absolutely. Uh, and 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 the people who are who are long time 101 ESPN listeners and are appalled by my mere presence but the the element of the anger i would describe it yeah. Between the cardinal fan base and the organization is at an all-time high in my life experience as a cardinal fan, which goes back to 1982. Born in 76, but started following the team and really never missing. Uh, I could go through each season going back to 1982, which is a little weird, but I but that's that's how my memory works. And I've never seen the anger, the distrust, the frustration, the lack of belief at a higher level. Had that winning streak not happened last year, this offseason, it would be it would be all kinds of all-out right. war. When you combine the work stoppage along with, um, it, to date, relatively speaking, a lack of activity. So it's perfect that we're having this conversation at the outset of today's show because Derek Gould is going to join us. At 1015. 10, 1015, 10, am I right on that, Nurse? Yeah, 10-15, 10, 15, 10 20. Uh, He will join us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line coming up here in about 10-15 minutes. And I'm looking forward to talking about a variety of baseball topics with him. But this is something I made the observation on uh, last year before the winning streak around the trade deadline. And I'm curious. I'm, I'm truly curious. What, for you, if you share this viewpoint, what your reasoning is for why you as an individual, not what you see on Twitter, not what you read in the STL today comments or potentially likely post in the STL today comments, what your reason is for being frustrated with the Cardinals, disliking, distrusting, whatever it is with the, the front office. It's something that I, I've talked about on TMA and on my podcast for a little while, but I'm now aware that. This is a whole new audience, albeit St. Louisans or people who live in the metropolitan area or natives of the area and maybe streaming or podcasting, but uh, a different audience. And so I'm curious, especially because I think this is certainly a more hardcore sports fan audience on 101 ESPN as opposed to TMA. Not saying one is, is is better or worse or right or wrong, just just certainly different. And so now I get to kind of tap into a different sample size of people. Jackson, you're a young man, a yes. young spry boy, <laughs> 23 years old. Uh-huh. Are you in agreement that there is a of sorts between fan base and organization at this moment? Or do you see me as overstating it?
1: I think the those that are vocal are very loud about it. I don't know how how much of that vocal section of the fan base is percentage-wise. I don't know. It could be a high percentage. It could be just a very local, uh, vocal minority. But I think there's certainly a, a disconnect between the front office and the fan base Uh, in certain sectors of the fan base. I
2: I think that a lot of it has to do with the messaging because when you look at what's gone on since 2000, I don't know what you would rather have as far as results go. I also think that there is a frustration that peaks around July 31st every year with the trade deadline coming and going, and the Cardinals being, an active, and I cannot do revisionist history on the trade deadline seven, eight months ago, and portray that the Cardinals were indeed active, right? Because they brought in Wade LeBlanc, wasn't even a trade, <laughs> uh, John Lester, and um, who am I missing that was from the uh, Jay hap? Thank you. And don't get me wrong; they got the job done, right? Right, certainly. They absolutely got the job done. But if we're to be honest, and I guess this would put myself at this moment on the side of those of you who are not real happy. Uh, that was more about, we got to get people to eat innings to get to the finish line. And then all of a sudden, they got hot. And you kind of had a Woody Williams situation in 2001. Woody Williams came along and was one of the best pitchers the Cardinals had for a few years. And the Cardinals, initially in 2001, just wanted to unload Ray Lankford and were trying to acquire Sterling Hitchcock from the Padres uh, just to unload an unhappy Ray Lankford. I saw Ray Lankford in the middle of a game here on Olive at Bristol. I had gotten a tip working for KMOV that Ray Lankford wasn't at the ballpark. He was hanging out watching the game at Bristol. And so I came out here, and sure enough, Ray Lankford on the roster is watching his team play while he is at Bristol Seafood. So obviously things weren't going well between the Cardinals and Ray Lankford. They were going to trade him no matter what. And they were just like, well, we'll take Sterling Hitchcock. And the Padres are like, ah, we don't want to part with Sterling Hitchcock. We'll give you Woody Williams. And then Woody Williams plays a role in leading the Cardinals to the playoffs and nearly beating the eventual world champion Diamondbacks. Premise being, 2001 is the last year I would tell you the Cardinals were actually sellers at the deadline. But that does not mean... That the other years they have been buyers. If anything, they have just been inactive and making deals with the previously known Cleveland Indians um, that would kind of be shoring things up. You don't have a whole lot of Matt Holliday trade deadline deals over the last 20 years. You have a lot of deadlines where fans are hoping for things, but things not happening. And so when you look at the last 20 seasons and you go, man, they've been competitive in every single year, even like 07. Uh, in '08, they were competitive going into September, but then there isn't activity when you feel like a move could put them over the top. I think fans feel like, I think, I'm theorizing here, I think fans feel like the organization is not investing into the team like the fan base invests into the team. And that, I believe, is the crux of the matter. That's what I think. That's what I think is going on. Mm. Who the hell is this on the air right now? (laughs) This guy is terrible. Sounds like AM radio. And his voice makes me squirm. It's from the 314. Can we give out a text of the day? (laughs) Do we have a text of the day? (laughs) We should. Uh, I forget what interview it was, but a national guy said roughly that the Cardinals are insulated by being in the National League Central. My frustration is that it feels they are content to benefit from a generally weaker division. That being said, I am not one of those with the pitchforks. Uh, It's the reason I quit social media several years ago. Uh, Guys, the issue is we live in a social media age where negative voices are the loudest. Those people do not represent Cardinal Nation as a whole. Uh, It's one big... Oh, here, see the the texts are disconnected. It's one big reason I quit social media several years ago uh, and Tim those were the days of La Russa and Duncan they were game changers uh, so when I evaluate it, I, I go okay in 2019 they were in the NLCS in 2020 which is an asterisk but they were in the playoffs whatever I don't I, that's a, whether they were or not that was so different in 2021 they made the run to get in but even in 16, 17, and 18, when they weren't in, they were competitive. But in all three of those years, I was kind of hoping they would sell. Not like go through an Astros-Cubs tanking rebuild sell, but just go, eh, it didn't happen. And even if we get in, we know it's, it's so unlikely. The issue here, I think, is in a way fans are paying for the runs the cardinals made in 2006 and 2011 in which both cases the cardinals came from out of nowhere to win the world series outliers and so therefore the outliers hit twice and so i think the thought process then has a mathematical bias well it's not mathematical it goes against math But a bias that, look, if you just get in, anything can happen. When in reality, those were probably once every hundred year events that happened twice in five years. From a probability standpoint, of course, it can happen. It's just incredibly unlikely. Yes, a number one seed can beat a number 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, but how many times has it happened since they've been playing? Once. Once. So it isn't just let's get into the tournament and see what's happened, what happens. It's a mathematical outlier. And I think that contributes to it because I think fans go into the season and go, the Cardinals are just trying to get into the playoffs. And then when they're kind of lurking at the trade deadline, they don't see them making moves. Buying or selling. Buying or selling. And that's why I can't go, okay, LeBlanc, Hap, Lester, by definition, those were acquisitions, but those were not, let's go win this thing. And I I wouldn't have wanted them to do it either last year, because they weren't good enough to go win this thing with one move. Scherzer would have been exciting, but it wasn't going to put them over the top. And I don't want to see you sacrifice long-term for an unrealistic or a highly improbable short-term. So when Randy brought that up, as we we were, we were coming in and he was heading out. I thought, yeah, this is something that I'm really curious about. This is something uh, that, that I've noticed over the last couple of years. I felt like it was peaking last year without that three-week stretch. And then you head into a year where they don't make the playoffs and you have a work stoppage, you will have had angst at an all-time high. I think the fact that they got into the playoffs, they lost to a great team, softened it. But, you know, I mean... It doesn't change the fact from my standpoint that they clearly need a bat and I feel like that's getting overlooked like I I thought for sure going into the offseason they'd get a bat and at this point I feel like I'm in a minority of, of people who still think that's going to happen. Maybe it will. But since there's no activity with regards to the work stoppage, yeah. uh, there's there's there can't be any talk about it as far as realistically going. Your thoughts are welcome. 65780, oh, I enjoy interacting with the audience, uh, even if it features uh, a potpourri of uh, personal attacks. It's fine. I've been doing this uh, for a long time, and at this point... Uh, the uh, the brain is as calloused as my, uh, my hands are. So also on the presentation today, uh, we'll have the conversation with Derek Gould in addition to get an update on the state of things with regards to the Major League Baseball Players Union state of the work stoppage, but also go into a little more detail on the core issue from the player side, the core issue from the owner side, what Derek thinks should happen, what Derek thinks will happen. Uh, and then we will talk about the Cardinals' offseason and whether or not he is of the opinion they should add a bat, who could possibly be. And then the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, it's something he talked about on his chat on STLtoday.com a couple of days ago and uh, where he is on voting in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So that is coming up on the other side of our commercial break. Derek Gould joining us to talk it over here on Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN.
0: Right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Welcome back to Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson, Virgin Sauce Boss, Burkett, with you presentation that solicits your involvement can the people leave mic drops now presented by rhino shield i believe so on the app it's, it's, it's really lacking confidence as you as you as you face the picture with that answer well i
1: don't want to say something definitively and be incorrect so i th- i believe so but I'll, i will double check and then uh and get back to you. All right.
2: God bless America. Uh, there it is. Uh, you can also, of course, text into the presentation. Uh, please stop saying presentation. The repetitive use of that word is annoying. Thank you. That's from the 314. And it's Ween Wednesday. That's from the 573. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, Derek Gould is going to join us here on uh, Balloon Party. Derek, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Wonderful. It's great to talk it over with you. When we have our conversations, we go. we sometimes can go deep, deep into the weeds. But I like going into the weeds.
3: Yeah, well, it depends on, I guess, what kind of weeds and if you're allergic, but sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind the, uh, the the, deeper dive into conversation.
2: We had uh, Gabe Diarmond on yesterday, and I told him one of my favorite things each week to read is his 10 things, I think, from the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another one of my favorite things to read each week uh, are your chats on STL today. Dot com. And I was reading the chat this week, and, uh, and I saw you say something that I think is a little contrarian, at least to what the, the narrative is around the country when it comes to the state of baseball and the work stoppage. And that is you saying, and I'm paraphrasing, that you aren't as concerned with the lack of talks uh, to date because there can be substantive moves being made behind the scenes, and sometimes talk of conversations between the sides is is really more of uh, optics than actual real movement on getting to an agreement. so as you analyze where things are, uh, how do you as a guy who's covered the game for so many years at the level you've covered the game how do you how do you evaluate where this thing is on January twelfth
3: Yeah, I mean I think you know the fact that they're going to meet later this week, you know, that's been widely reported on um, the expectation was that they would start kind of talking and moving the direction of a meeting after the holidays were over. So it really didn't like unnerve me or surprise me or whatever that they went a long time, even a month without talking. Um, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of, Momentum um, and both sides recognize that, you know, real movement happens when there's a deadline. So a discussion on December 22nd wasn't going to have the same urgency, to be candid, that a discussion on January 15th was going to have or February 1st was going to have. And if both sides recognize that and both sides want to win then they want to use the calendar to their benefit to push the other towards a decision. Um, you know, it's all part of the leverage game in that regard. So it didn't surprise me at all. It also didn't bother me because, you know, they clearly made so little headway um, even in their conversations that it was obvious what the points were. It was obvious what both sides want to achieve. Um, it was obvious they weren't going to come to much middle ground and, you know, so they need some kind of pressure to apply to to move the tug of war, to move that middle point, um, so that both sides kind of give a little, um, you know. And so again, it 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 really seemed like they needed to talk within their own Congress, not to each other more, um, and really kind of prioritize. Okay, what can we give, and what do we need to get, and that would better outline things. The bigger biggest concern with all this that I have. Is this notion of what if they focus only on the big thing in the middle, right? The the economic structure, and then that leads to rushing through a lot of the other
2: stuff. Yeah, yeah.
3: Rushing through things like um, COVID protocols, which are still in place and still have to be negotiated. Health and safety. What about rushing through? Um, rules, so it seems less likely that that will happen. But like a DH, for example, rushing through that, or uh, media access policies, rushing through that. What if you know all the big arguments are fleshed out and an agreement comes in principle, and they get to the end and go, okay, well, shoot, we have these twenty other things that we need to work through, and those get rushed through.
2: Yeah, I like that. Because uh, because in reading your chat, you're you're talking about the, the three core issues which we'll, which we'll go through. But you're right, there are problems beyond the economic elements and to just get the economic element taken care of and then rushing through the, the rest uh... would prove that this work stoppage didn't really advance the game like it truly needs to let's talk about the core you were asked what really when it gets down to it are the biggest Sticking points. You were asked for five, and you said it comes down to three. And I think this is good for people because people know there's a work stoppage, but do they really know? Do the most people really, really know what the core issues are? And to simplify it, you said it's an economic structure that allows for players to make money earlier in the open marketplace, or earlier access to higher salaries through arbitration process, and for the free market to be free, not entangled with draft pick compensations. Second, for the draft or some other mechanism to be adjusted in such a way that tanking is not as appealing or advantageous as it is in the current structure. And then third, for an opening of wider or other revenue streams, such as advertisements on jerseys and batting helmets and an expanded playoff format that would be appealing to TV partners. I know those are all somewhat intertwined. Um, what do you think they are the furthest apart on that makes you go, man, this might take a while, if if you do feel that, that, that way?
3: Oh, it's the... Uh I mean, it's the economic structure, the how do you get younger players paid earlier and at a higher salary. I mean, that's the one. Um, And how, you know, whatever... how to put this, whatever dominoes fall as a result of that, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind with this because, and I I tried to stress this in the chat and in the coverage elsewhere is that, you know, it's not a la carte. You hear all these things about what was proposed here and what was proposed there. And it's like, Oh, well, there's a deal to be had. Yeah. Maybe if you pick and choose from different various proposals, but that's not what negotiations get to do. You know, a negotiation is a proposal for an economic structure and it, and one might include free agency coming earlier, but it may not address tanking. One may address tanking, but it doesn't change the anything fundamental about the arbitration or free agency. And so you can see how, I, I, one of the reasons why I tried to pick three there was to make the point that like both sides want to win on two of the three, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not possible with three. And so you can kind of see the conflict um, of why there there are these two really entrenched positions by these two sides um and I think that the biggest one is that is how do they create the structure and maybe that works in concert with some uh, some um adjustment or some policies that change for tanking and the draft and things like that um but maybe it doesn't and and maybe you know th- th- it takes a more incremental move that is something that I think is maybe uh, the union is more aware than ever is that they may not get the biggest win that they want, but they can at least make incremental change that year by year by year gets them ultimately to a better position. Um, In the same way that they learn from the owners how the owners year by year got more and more and eventually then the big win um, of the previous past two CBAs.
2: Derek Gould, our guest here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Tim McKernan with you on 101 ESPN. So, Derek, with regards to tanking specifically, Doug Vaughn and I were having this conversation in a commercial break this morning on uh, TMA. Is, is a floor actually something that is in play? And is that something that... that you could see taking place or is that just a fantasy that has all kinds of other issues attached to it?
3: Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the the union is reluctant to have a floor because a floor usually comes with a ceiling, right? And it can be like a luxury tax or a soft ceiling or just a hard salary cap. Uh, you know, that's, that's one reason why you see such hesitancy there is this notion that, well, if you live, if you, Force them to spend to a level then there's going to be the argument that you have to cap it on the other side um, one way to create a soft floor is that a word that we can use I think we can use um, soft
2: floor phraseology
3: yeah okay so you know how the luxury tax created a de facto cap right or yeah um, you know you could create a trampoline let's say it that way because it can flex down or flex up you can create a trampoline and not a floor by saying, hey, you know, revenue sharing exists, this money must funnel into baseball operations or this money must funnel into your payroll. That would be one way to do it so that the teams that receive money from revenue sharing, the small market teams and everything like that, they're not able to pocket that money That money then must be reinvested or accounted for through some sort of auditing to go into either the payroll or, if they want to broaden it a little bit, baseball operations, which would be – you could define as infrastructure for minor league, minor league salary, coaching salaries – you know, facilities, things like that.
2: I want to uh, get into some of the off-the-field uh, elements that Cardinal fans are intrigued by with regard to the offseason, if and when it uh, restarts here over the next month or two. And then also some of the other things that fans would like to see changed and whether or not this work stoppage will lead to some of those changes with regard to play on the field. Derek Gould is going to join us for another segment that is coming up in a matter of moments. You are listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Our guest on the Brown and Crouppen and Celebrity Line, Derek Gould. Kind enough to uh, stick around for a second segment. Derek, uh, the people are asking uh for me to ask you if you think... <laughs> the season will start on time. So I am the messenger, and I am legitimately curious about your answer to, uh, to that question.
3: I mean, there's a lot of, lot of reason for it to start on time. We can count the dollars and commas, right, um, or the zeros and commas and get to the dollars. Uh, you know, any game that they lose in the regular season is salary loss for players, because they're not paid salary during spring training so they would start losing salary um, and owners would lose ticket sales and more robustly they would also lose uh, you know the the broadcast fees uh, national and local broadcast fees because they wouldn't be providing any content on a larger scope one that the both sides do understand and aren't just paying lip service is they would lose some faith you know from their fan base you know I, i brought up a few times and it it especially to them or on radio or interviews. It just seems like, you know, baseball has been there when the country has turned to it, and here's another opportunity for it to be there, um, you know, when spring arrives and hopefully this virus recedes and there's more reason to get outside, there's more reason to gather, there's more opportunity to kind of be a community, and there's more need than ever to be bonded as a community, and baseball has done that in the past. Uh, I think it's a real question that they have to confront as to whether or not uh, you know what happens if they're not there for the fans. So um, there's there's real interest in starting on time, and there is still time for that to happen. I know we we're kind of conditioned to think that spring training starts around Valentine's Day, and that's the first sign that a season is coming, or the winter warm up arrives in January, and the clock really starts ticking towards when the Cardinals have Opening Day. We saw in 2020, uh, Tim, that you know a month is really possible, right? They use July, um, and not the entirety of July, but July to get ready for that shortened season. You could see pitchers working out on their own and a condensed spring where you could still co- start the season on time.
2: While they're working on the economic issues, certainly there are some issues with the game itself. Uh, and you were talking about COVID protocols and not just rushing through the rest of it, if and when they come to their agreement with regards, Derek, to the economics. Mm -hmm. What do you see as being realistic from a, I don't know if the right term is fixing the game, because I don't know how much fixing can be done or we need done, but uh, what do you see happening as far as to what we see with on-the-field product taking place in these negotiations between the owners and the players?
3: They said after their meetings in Dallas that they moved the rules discussion off the table. That was from the commissioner. Now it can obviously go back on. Um, And you would trying to understand why the union would want that uh, some background here the way the rules worked in uh, the previous CBA and this previous practices was that the commissioner could propose one um, approach the union about agreeing upon it and if they did then great then it was in then it would be discussions and all that stuff and the commissioner then a year later after the proposal could impose unilaterally with no negotiations so an example of that would be like the three batter minimum for the reliever. You could the commissioner proposed it, enter into the talks. The union doesn't like it, so they get a year without it, and then it's imposed by the commissioner. Um, some things that could you know move through if you consider the DH a rule change. That's something that has support on both sides. Um, doing away with that three batter minimum is something that I hope they don't rush through. I hope they do discuss that. I know that's something that they want to discuss and that could go by the wayside in part because of the unintended consequences, which we saw at Bush stadium um, with Genesis Cabrera and Bryce Harper. So, you know, that, that kind of situation right then and there, you think that would be addressed. And the one that might change the game, most of all is the growing discussion and interest in a pitch clock. If that, you know, takes a greater hold and there actually is like a clock on pitchers and hitters, you know, it's called a pitch clock, but really it's also a hitter clock. Um, You would see that come into play um, and that be a part of it. And, you know, I think that would be, you know, the most likely of the discussions. I, you know, I'm not so sure. It depends on who you talk to. That's where they feel about the shift and some of these other rules that have been um, kind of bouncing around Uh, Theo Epstein in the commissioner's office and Mike Schilt who is working closely with Theo Epstein. Yeah. One of their charge is to look at ways to improve the game. That would be done under the umbrella of studying in 2022, not implementing in 2022.
2: Uh anytime we are doing the show here on 101 ESPN Derek, uh, people are asking about what the Cardinals could do this offseason the name that i see most often in the uh air comfort service text line is uh Kyle Schwarber what oh, is really? yes indeed uh, i imagine Why? you probably have been asked about that on uh, on twitter and on your chat multiple times on STL today was,
3: was not asked at all his name did not see his name in the chat
2: which I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to lay it down. I don't think he's bluffing. I think he's got the hand, Jackson. I'm I think he's you. serious. Yeah, I'm with you.
3: Yeah, I did not see his name in the chat. So wow. maybe that's uh, maybe it's different different audiences.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised because I see the name uh, throughout the day here uh, in the text. line. So do you think that when this all restarts, whenever that is, that the Cardinals still have a plan for more work to do?
3: Yes. Yes, they do. They will. I mean, first and foremost, they want to add, some kind of late inning reliever, a guy who could even uh, challenge or accumulate, however you want to do it, some saves for them. You know, a guy like that they'd like to add, and uh, and they will look at a left-handed bat. Um, right now, they kind of see the need to get Newbar some playing time. They're really intrigued um, and impressed with what he did as a rookie this past season, and then took the uh, Arizona Fall League by storm along with Yepes. They think that those two guys, right-handed hitting Yepes, left-handed hitting Newbar, have pretty much exhausted all they need to do at AAA and need to be, need to find roles for them in the, in the majors. Um, could that be um, as a kind of splitting up, you know, platoon rookie DH possibly. Um, but they, they recognize the possible, the, the potential there of say, adding a left-handed bat. Um, you know, it's, is Schwarber the guy, you know, that'd be, he doesn't necessarily fit unless he is the full-time DH, right? I mean, where would he play? I guess he would spell Tyler O'Neill in left field, but that's not something that they really want to do all that much. You know, he's not as good a defensive player as say, a new Bar would be. So, I mean, you know, defining the, the fit there it would be definitely a commit to that DH spot, and how do they reconcile that with what they want to do with the rookies would be a real question. Um, their answer might be that the upgrade is too much to ignore, um, but. It would be a question that they'd have to face.
2: Final question for you with regards to the Hall of Fame. Saw in the chat you were talking about, uh, you've been swayed, I think is the proper verb to use, <laughs> on, on on Jeff Kent. Uh, yeah. Jeff Kent had a famous moment, I think it's overshadowed by Edmonds' home run in Game 6 and Roland's home mm-hmm. run against Roger Clemens in Game 7, but that NLCS mm-hmm. in 2004... Was absolutely incredible, and the Astros took a series lead after Kent mm-hmm. homered off of Isringhausen in uh, in Game Five. I imagine both of us were in Houston for that one. Kent did have an incredible career, uh, not necessarily the most affable gentleman, and therefore probably didn't have much of a of an image to the public. But he did have a great career. I just never really thought of him as a Hall of Famer, but now you uh, you see him as a Hall of Famer.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, vo- I mean, I voted for him, so I kind of feel like, um, and I don't say that flip, I kind of feel like if i vote for somebody i better be ready to see their plaque there someday right like i need to you're not, not just making for... a
2: statement with your vote is what you're saying
3: yeah or i mean sometimes you vote for like hey this guy needs to stay in the conversation more um because you recognize he's not going to get 75 like edmund's you know trying to or i voted for him in hopes that like look you know he should stick around a little bit more um generate some conversation mm-hmm. maybe get you yeah, know, the eyes saying. of the vet's yeah veterans committee. Um, but if you're going to vote, you got to be ready for like everybody else to feel the same way that you do because you don't necessarily know all the ballots and all of a sudden he ends up in the hall of fame. Um, you know, I, I did not vote for Kent last year and I had a spot open on my ballot. And that stuck with me for a little while. Um, he and Billy Wagner, um, you know, just really kind of like, all right, where, where are we with, you know, where am I withdrawing that line is, you know, it came to me a lot where like, okay, the line, Um, who crosses it into Cooperstown and who's the player who's left on the outside looking in? Because that has to exist, right? And that's the harsh way to put it, but that has to exist. Is that line, for me, is it the line between Sheffield and Bobby Abreu? Is that line between Bobby Abreu and David Ortiz? Is that line between Ortiz and Kenton? Where do I draw that? Um, and so, I, you know, I just really kind of influenced how I looked into the question, the research, asked more people. I know I have a couple people who I really trust. Um, you know, I really like their thinking on baseball. I really like the, the questions that they ask me to challenge me. And, you know, one of them is a real huge Jeff Kent fan as a Hall of Famer. Um, knows him well as a player, knows what he can do for a team and how he influences a team. Um, you mentioned that he was kind of irascible. I honestly never – I got to talk to him and interview him multiple times, including once when I was assigned to do a Barry Bonds story um, for the Rocky Mountain News, and Bonds spent a good, I don't know, eight minutes telling me why he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> so, uh, which I thought was like a real waste of both of our
1: time. It <laughs> seems to be.
3: And then at the end, I was like, you could have just said all that in an interview, um, but thanks. And um, and, it, and I guess it wasn't – I didn't think it was off the record, so it was like kind of an interview anyways. Um, but Kent saw all that unfold and, uh, like, talked to me about Bonds, which, you know, they weren't exactly BFFs, right. so I'm using the phrase, right? Um, you know, and I was really always struck by that. Like, you know, he had he could have – totally given me the stiff arm and had every right to, but he kind of saw what unfolded and talked to me um, about what it was like hitting, um, I think around bonds and what he does to the lineup and things like that. Um, but, you know, just looking at it, I mean, look, he's the all time power leader when it comes to second base here in St. Louis, that means something because this is where Rogers Hornsby played. And really it's, you know, when it comes to home runs, it's not close. And, I got to thinking about Ortiz in the sense that you're voting for his offense, right?
1: Yeah. Because yeah, that's all. he didn't play
3: a position; he was DH. Um, whereas with Jeff Kent, one of the reasons why people say, "Well, he's not a Hall of Famer," was because he, you know, he struggled defensively at times, particularly at third base when he was wedged over there. Got better, um, you know. I think had some elements of, you know, being a reliable defensive player, but he wasn't going to go out and win gold gloves, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, you're going to vote in a guy who has no defensive quotient. Um, Why not look at how Kent was just as an offensive player? And there's, you know, there are examples statistically where he brought more offensively than Ortiz did. And so how then do you suggest that, oh, well, now he's all of a sudden not a Hall of Famer because he did a lot offensively, but then undermined it defensively? So I tried to wrestle with that, you know, this notion that like, I mean, he's out there playing. He got better. Um, You know, he wasn't going to steal runs uh, defensively, but he didn't give up a whole bunch. Um, So how do you measure that? And when you look at like whatever offensive number you want to go with, there's there's a lot to say that he provided as much or more offensively as Ortiz, and you know, Ortiz is getting the red carpet treatment into Cooperstown. So how did I how did I reconcile that comparison? And the answer I came up with was voting for Kent.
2: Derek Gould with us here. You can read more in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and, of course, on STLtoday.com. I look forward to that chat every week at STLtoday.com. Derek, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to talk with you guys. Have a great week. You too, man. Take it easy. That's Derek, Derek Gould here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Tim McCartney, and Jackson Burkett with you here on Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN
0: we are right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
2: ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on 101 ESPN. Derek Gould, our guest in the previous two segments, joining us on the Brown and and Celebrity Line. You want a podcast, Balloon Party? Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers podcast up for your enjoyment. And now, Jackson, we had been told that, uh, People could not leave a mic drop in the balloon party on uh, 101 and ESPN app. That's how you can leave your mic drops uh, presented by Rano Shield, but the great Mike Ryder, and he is great, the best. he really is. Uh, he tended to that during the Derek Gould interview. Yeah. So now I know a number of TMA listeners are really looking forward to having their voices heard on 101 ESPN, and I'm sure that excites everybody. <laughs> at 101 ESPN, that that influx is coming. I know. I'm looking forward to it. Now, these are the kind of things that we are not used to getting on TMA. I would love to know his thoughts on Bill Madlock of the Pirates. That one still amazes me. That's from MJ to the DJ.
1: That's just a non sequitur enough to be a TMA text. <laughs>
2: no, You know, I know on the Riz Show, they have their little games where they try to guess what is real and what is fake, <laughs> so to speak. I'm now having to do that with uh, with the text. Yeah. I can't tell is this a TMA listener playing satire or if it's a serious uh, question. This one comes from uh, The Clutch, uh, or this comes from Lisa. I think uh, she double-texted it in. He hits in the clutch, Derek. That's in reference to Kyle Schwarber. I'm stunned that Derek said in his whole chat he didn't hear anything about Kyle Schwarber. I feel like that is the name when I open the text line here on 101 ESPN, I feel like inevitably on the screen in front of me, I will see the name Kyle Schwarber. He is the name people want. I have to tell you, I would enjoy that as well. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I mean, if you're looking for a DH and you're looking for a bat, that would be it. Right, that, that would be the one. Right, well, you go. You got to sign the they bat. They got to do that. They got to do that. I've, I've you know, that team that went to the NLCS in 2019. Again, it's kind of we were talking in the in the first segment about how 2006 and 2011, while I don't know any Cardinal fan that would complain about them, it's set up what has happened I think over the last 15-16 years, which is, oh, look, we can be average for a number of months and then get hot and then win the World Series. And so what winds up happening is you just think you get in and you have a chance to win. And yes, of course, it could happen, but it's not ridiculously likely. It's incredibly improbable, if anything. But the Cardinals were one of the final four teams in baseball in 2019, and there's no way in the world that I would say they were one of the top four teams in baseball in 2019. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive if you're looking at the results, but from a, from a standpoint of talent, yeah, they... They, they didn't have it. And one of the biggest issues was offense. Well, I don't really feel like that's been tended to substantially since then. You go, well, they got Nolan Arnato They absolutely do. Upgrades the the defense as well. But who was the best offensive player on the 2019 Cardinals? Marcelo Ozuna. That's correct, who they immediately lost and never really replaced. And so... They really haven't taken a step forward offensively unless you're counting on some guys who haven't done it at a high level consistently throughout an entire major league season to do it. And maybe that will happen. Maybe that will happen. But this team is more than a bullpen arm and Steven Matz away from being a World Series contender. Could they get in with what they have? Of course they could. But repeating 2006 and 2011, from my standpoint, is not a great baseball model. might be a wonderful business model, but it's not a great baseball model. So I went into this offseason knowing there would be a work stoppage, but also really hoping that there would be a significant move. And I'm talking about a significant move to the offense. Uh, And I'm starting to wonder if that is going to happen. I think I was offering wagers with people on that, too. But I don't know if anybody took me up on it. I was so... So con convinced. Uh guys, what kind of French fries does Derek Gould like? Girl, thanks. That's from the three one four. Now see there is a case.
1: Yeah. That's TMA.
2: It's TMA. But it would be uh, something else if the one oh one texter started to get into French fry discussion. I mean i I'm, I'm happy wonderful. to entertain anytime. Uh got back to back texts. I would like to see Nelson Cruz. Jackson, how do you like the idea of Nelson Cruz? Well the long in the tooth, no. Still was raking. Still was mm-hmm. raking. I guess. If Here's you're... my favorite text. I know we were giving away a text of the day in the first segment. I'm going to give <laughs> another one away. Something along... I lost it. We've gotten so many... Oh, here we go. Jackson, stop sounding like Jim Nance on the 18th at the Masters during your updates. It's a great text. And that didn't come from me either.
1: I think it. I take that as a compliment. So you, you might think that you burned me there. but
2: I didn't, I didn't even know that you were going to be doing these updates when we started this show. Right. And then I look over... And then I'm like, "Oh, Jackson's doing an update." Yep, and and these are these are these are burn your saddle, aren't they? Well, I, I write them. I've down already first. offered to say, "I'll do the update." No, i nope. do an update right now. You want it? You want the reps?
1: I want to get better. Yes.
2: I Look at get you. Better. You're a champion. Sir. I, I just don't like to quit things,
1: and this is something I don't want to quit. I want to get better at it, and so uh, I'm. But uh,
2: why are you whispering like I'm standing over an eight foot putt, three feet away from you? Why are you whispering?
1: Well, I don't want to. I don't want <laughs> to break anyone's car speakers. <laughs> Was that, a, deep, shot is that my... a shot at me? Is that a shot
2: at me? I'm so passive-aggressive.
1: <laughs> no, well, you know, my voice is so deep and, and grisly that I don't <laughs> want people to get their
2: ears hurt. Uh, kind of a side note, guys. Wendy's revamped their fries, and they're pretty solid. I'm always up for a good fry update, so I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah. Boy, I like fries. It's good to see that we can bring that to 101 ESPN. I'm sure that's uh, quite appealing. All right, uh, BK and Ferrari are coming up on the other side of the commercial break with their radio show we will shut hours down for the day thank you to Derek gould for joining us on the brown and crouppen celebrity line miss anything you can podcast it on the dobbs tire and auto centers podcast and you of course can leave a mic drop now courtesy of rhino shield that's up in the 101 espn balloon party portion of the 101 espn app for action jackson i'm tim mckernan this has been balloon party on 101 espn